I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on autism answers. This is the place where we boldly go, where no host has gone before. Into, well, I've gone there lots of times, actually, and you've heard me say that a lot. So I'm not even going to finish that sentence just to keep you interested. Anyways, um, today's an interesting day, as they all are. Uh, today I'm, I'm kind of uh, crippled a little bit because my computer, I would love to actually do a whole rag on Mac computer series because I've been going constantly living at the Mac store, constantly going to the Genius Bar, being told, no, you can't come to the Genius Bar. You have to make an appointment. And I'm like, you're a store. People walk into stores. Anyways, I have no passion about this. I am calm. I am not <laughs> technologically impaired. But I am going to pass this show to the radio folks and let them do the editing. So we're just going to let it be what it turns out to be, and I will get back to being more in charge on the next one. So this could be a lot of fun. Uh, stay with me and see how it all comes out. And, yes, I am having a struggle with the Apple Store. Yes, it is true. Okay, I do have a little bit of a, a relationship issue with the Apple Store because I cry the second, not, not so they can tell, just I get that lump in my throat and I want to cry. The second I cross the threshold and see all those people in those blue outfits holding their little pads going, uh, can I check you in? Can I check you in? Can I? No! Um, okay, anyway, I'm done. All right, so today's show, <laughs> today's show is going to center around the concept of self-diagnosis versus official diagnosis. Does it help us? Does it not help us? And so I needed somebody who's kind of playing with that a little bit themselves to talk to and who also has something else they can bring to the show that will give you value uh, rather than just me ragging. Now, that's why I gave you such a beautiful opening with so much emotion and so much personality because, after all, we all have some social and relationship issues if the situation is right. So uh, but without further ado, let me tell you who we're going to be talking to today. Her name's Lori Petro. I, I guess I, every time I read her name, actually, I think of the old Dick Van Dyke show. It's not quite the same, but it brings it to mind every time. It's What was that, Laura Petri? Um, but this is Lori Petro, um, and she's a mom, a former teacher. She's a certified parent educator and child advocate. And she founded TEACH, and this is all in caps, T-E-A-C-H, through love. In 2002, I, I actually just love anything called Teach Through Love. Um, it, she's an education and advocacy organization for families, teachers, and caregivers. Well, she isn't, but Teach Through Love is, uh, to promote conscious parenting and compassionate communication. Okay, so what happens is when I'm going to have a guest, I say, can you give me a two-sentence intro? Because that way I know a couple things. I know what to say to you how they like to be represented, but I also know who they think they are and who they want to be. It, it reflects to me their thoughts. 
And I love this last sentence. So she squished all that in with lots of commas so that she could put this last sentence in. She is a passionate advocate for nice people and the ethical treatment of children. Nice people. That is the only time I've ever read that. And I have to start off by saying, hello, Lori, and what's your definition of nice people? (laughs) Hello, Lynette. Thank you for having me on. I I have to wait until I stop giggling because (laughs) I've been giggling since you started talking, and I just can't stop. And thank you for that. I needed a morning giggle. Oh, you're welcome. The people at the Mac store are nice people, but the system is not. Okay. So what's your definition of that? How how do you create a a whole organization around the idea of you like nice people? This is awesome to me. Well, you know, I really came at this completely backwards, like almost like when you watch – like the one scene of the movie and they show it to you at the beginning, but you don't understand it until the end. That's sort of like how my life was. So I started Teach Through Love just being, you know, what I thought was just a regular old person in the world, neurotypical like everyone else. Um, and But I had this whole sense growing up, I had a lot of confusion, I had a lot of anxiety, and I felt that the world was really harsh. And I felt that people were really harsh and that they weren't so very nice. And not all people but in a general, in the general sense of society, I felt a lot more negativity than I felt happy, happy, joy, joy. Um, and not to say that that's the only thing in life, but I felt, and I don't know if this was just me or other people, but I grew up um, to want to to change that. And so I'm now passionate about nonviolent communication, which is also known as compassionate communication, and uh, parent-teacher education because. How we treat our kids, it, you know, has a lot to do with what we see in society. So I, I just want to create nice people. I want people to be happy and be nice to each other and not defensive all the time, which is what I feel and see a lot of. I mean, you just have to look at TV or the news, right, and you see it. Okay, okay, but still, you didn't tell me what a nice person is. Like, so, for example, oh, for example. Well, I, thought, I, I thought you said, how, well, because I heard you say, how did you create a whole organization around this? Yeah, I know. I threw a million questions. It's it's. You know, just I grab know one, and now we're going back to the definition question. It's really just someone who doesn't judge, blame, shame, you know, in general. Obviously, we all have bad days, but um, there, I hear a lot of violence in our words. So for me, it's all about words. I started Teach Through Love, which teaches an acronym for transforming the emotional abuse of children. My, I started this about... Um, to be about verbal and emotional abuse, about that attacking sort of, mm-hmm. um, do you know what I'm talking about? That, you know, things are just tinged with this negativity and people are critical or they're, um, they use humor. And I didn't, and I realize now <laughs> being told all my life, you're so literal and I didn't understand what that meant. And, and now I get it because I didn't understand a lot of the humor that people would use and sarcasm. I understand it now much better, of course, but um, I just don't think that it's necessary. It feels like everybody's always on the defensive. So I, I'm just trying to advocate for people treating each other with respect, tolerance, and promoting empathy and relationship. I love that you brought up humor because, um, you know, when I was trying to figure out people, I did it from the stand-up comedy stage, and I, it, it made everybody more handleable. They stayed in the audience seat, and I was up there talking, and I could see what worked and what didn't. 
and uh, it, it was you know it was very painful too because a lot of the time nothing worked. But <laughs> in that position, that's a vulnerable place to be. <laughs> well, no, actually for me it was more empowering because at least they were in, I could control them. They were in the audience seat, you know, right. and a heckler was a heckler, and everybody had a name. You knew what what the roles were, and that made it much simpler for me to try to figure out humor. And what I learned. Um, as I went, was the various types of humor. And I love that you're talking about that because I grew up with a lot of sarcasm around me. And my parents laugh, my whole family laughs all the time, but it always hurts. Mm. And, and so you go for a visit and you're laughing and laughing, you walk in away and you go, oh, it was so much fun, why do I want to kill myself? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, what the heck? And it was confusing. It was so confusing to see this representation of your own self laughing and participating, but then walking away completely unhappy from that. And that dichotomy uh, was crazy-making. So you mentioning this whole sarcasm and, and type of humor that goes at the child or at the person as opposed to, which is the th- uh, next thing I learned at stand-up comedy, is that you can elevate humor. Yeah, that if, because I, if yeah. you, yeah, I if you pay attention, right, you can learn to be extremely fun. I changed it from funny to fun. Mm-hmm. Well, and when it, I changed it, okay, go ahead. Your turn, your turn. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> but seriously, your turn. I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, you were. I just love the comedy thing because I didn't want anyone to think that I don't love humor because I spent um, – two years at Improv Olympic training to, and that was long form improv. And what I loved about it was that it was all about relationship. And it was about like, just like you said, elevating humor, but through relationship, not about making like sly one, you know, one hit comebacks or whatever, these really fun, but really about the humor coming through the, the reality of life, which is what I think you do in your stand up and your performances, right? Yeah. A lot of the time it is, but it's also about learning that you can, that you can, uh, there's different kinds of humor. So, so people laugh when they're surprised or when they see extreme recognition of something that they themselves do that they find silly. So those are pretty much, that's pretty much the basis of humor. And there's the, you know, one, two, three punch. So, you know, you make them expect to hear you say computer on number one and computer on number two, and then you say horse on number three, and they go, ah, oh, I thought you were going to say computer. So, I mean, it's a pretty, there is a formula and when you kind of get that it's that simple, then you can start looking at, you know, breaking it down and what is a pun and what all these different things. And it, does, it can be about relationship. It can be about self-reflection. It can be about society. It doesn't have to be mean. Right. But mean is easier. Mean is, yeah, mean's easy. Mean gets people fast it gets them talking either way too well and you said something they didn't have the courage to do so if you're standing on stage and a heckler yells out you know you suck the easiest way to get the audience laughing or responding is to come back with something also cruel because they go yeah (laughs) i would have been afraid to say that you know and it's it's that position so humor really touches on our insecurities just does it reveal them or does it, you know, exploit them? I think that's the difference then. I think, well, I think it's a question of do we want to listen to our own humor? I think it's a question of like when I was saying, when I was in my family home and we all laughed so much and from anybody looking in, a, you know, little camera, little GoPro up in the corner, they would say, 
wow, that family's having such a good time. But if you got in underneath Mm -hmm. and paid attention to everything, what you saw was a lot of angst and negativity and obesity and 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 immune system disorders and like all kinds of stress related illnesses and unhappiness mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so That's so sure yeah it's like the bunch of people sitting around drunk and laughing their heads off they look like they're having fun it makes a good commercial for beer but it's not the truth yeah right so that's deep, Lynette. We just went I'm deep. I'm sorry. I'm we sorry. Did. I told okay, you it's going to be one in. of those shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go with it, though, for a minute. Okay, so since you're about trying to create these relationships that have a, um, a kindness, a niceness in them. So we've unearthed yeah, the, well, I, the I dichotomy, so now what? Really, like many people, it was sort of just this evolution of me uh, learning about myself and what I was passionate about, and I'm I'm also um, when I do when I become passionate about something, I, I go for it all the way. And this was just something that has been with me since forever, and I think it grew out of my own experiences. Um, and not to blame anybody because a lot of this is it's generational, it's cultural. I mean, this is like passed down through. Um, you know, family, some of the, the harshness I think that I experience that I talk about, that verbal hostility and cruelty and, and jabbing remarks. Um, what was the question I got totally? It doesn't matter. We're, we're just, we're, I told you, it's this show where I don't even have the ability to edit. We're just going to play. Oh, okay, so, <laughs> all right, I get it, the jabbing remarks and, and people going on, but we do like to try to find answers for folks. So, Here's something that happened to me. I was um, I was taking like a one of those self help places classes because I did a lot of that trying to figure myself out and how to be a better parent and whatnot. And there was this there was this lady who was really fun, um, but she when we had these little roles in this class where we would do these uh, act out these little skits, and they would be about the relationships of our children or our husband or whatever. And she was always so funny. She was so funny. It was like watching a sitcom, and it was always cruel humor. Mm. Um, And I remember watching that and thinking, all she's doing is mimicking. She's been trained. Okay, so we we train our, our children. And she'd been trained by television to be this way, probably her family as well. And, you know, probably her teachers and her her fellow siblings and friends because she got lots of laughs and stuff, but they all then went away and wanted to kill themselves. But society loves this kind of humor, throws this stuff up on, you know, on sitcoms all the time. You always have that character that's always very cutting and biting with their humor. Mm -hmm. And she learned to be that person and got lots of secondary gain from it. And when I was watching that, I, I remember thinking, but... The really awesome shows actually don't do that. Mm, like, no. like, like Friends or, I mean, the really awesome shows, the ones that really, really go somewhere, they actually don't. That's just lazy writing. Uh, yeah, well, again, it comes back to, I love what you called, what you said, and I remember hearing this term, but just elevating the humor. It's just something that's more poignant than just making fun of someone. Right, and it also indicates how smart you are. So people... 
if you look this up, you'll find that there are different levels of humor. There's like low-level humor, medium-level humor. So if you want to be highbrow, you have to go for the high level of humor, and it doesn't include this stuff. <laughs> that's way too many categories for me to handle at one time. You know, I, this wasn't at all what we were going to talk about. It's so fun. Um, hang on, i got to say something. You are listening to A New Spin on Autism, Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. And today we are talking to Lori Petro, and we don't know what we're saying. But we're having lots and lots of fun, and I think we're basically looking at what is nice and what is not nice. So we're going to go with that. She is um, an advocate for parents and niceness and kindness and has a, uh, an organization called Teach Through Love, which is all by itself wonderful. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the whole diagnostic issue. So I dealt with, you know, people would say to me, you're so blunt, it's cruel, which I think is funny, by the way, now since we're talking about humor, because I use my uh, frankness and my bluntness to inform children. I'll say, oh, yeah, well, see, the reason that you're pulling away, I, I saw you put your head by my armpit, and it, maybe I need deodorant. Do I need deodorant? <laughs> And they're like, yes, you're right. And I'm like, I'll be right back. Can I borrow some deodorant, Mom? <laughs> right. And and what used to be horrible turns into a great communication device and allows a person's sensory, who's sensory sensitive, to be okay. And okay. for me to get myself into a how, a position where they can in, embrace who I am, I smell just right, I sound just oh. right, I, you know. <laughs> um, so it's funny that what used to be considered negative or cruel is now a great teaching tool for me. And maybe we've just had the wrong definition all along. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it? So that's how one of the ways, I'm trying to stay with our sort of theme here, that's one of the ways that my being so literal helped me to be better in the world. Tell us about you. Well, I, you know, this is all very new for me, as I think it's probably fairly new for you, right? You haven't, uh, just, well, anyway. I, I no, 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 go ahead. Ask what we're going to say. No, well, I mean, the whole, like, knowing, because you've worked with kids with autism, but your own personal history and using these tools, it was, I, you didn't, yeah, you, you yeah, weren't you aware before, right? I didn't even know I was weird until I was like 30-something, and right. they were doing a documentary about me, and everyone they interv- interviewed said, who would have thought Crazy Lynette would be a good mom? And oh. <laughs> I went, Crazy Lynette? Did they call me that? <laughs> so sometimes it's about our awareness. <laughs> yes. Right. Well, I didn't have that. I'm just that awareness. Um, I kind of always knew I was weird, but I just like to call it gifted because that was, you know, more (laughs) socially appropriate. But I did not know I was actually weird. My mother knew. I have to tell you, my mother knew for a long time, but no one told her what what this official Asperger's, which has now disappeared apparently. Um, I was just getting used to it. I just found a label, and then they, they, like, took it away from me. So I'm having issues with that as well. Um, And I still don't know how to socially be politically correct and talk about people with autism. I don't know if they're people with autism. I don't know if I'm supposed to call them autistic people. I feel really embarrassed when I even talk about it as if it's something that belongs to me because, like, I'm taking away, like, I don't deserve it. So I have a lot of issues around the whole thing that I'm just starting to get getting to know but as a whole the 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 traits and the characteristics um 
that I now use, like you, in my parenting education work and in teaching people how to relate to children. It was really because I didn't, I never understood how to relate to adults. I didn't get them. I like blunt honesty, right? You were saying that it's blunt and frank, but it's honest. It tells me the information that I need to know, and I don't need to run around in circles trying to um, intuit. Because here's my thing was always that I would intuit an energy from people. I was very um, intuitive. I kind of knew what they were thinking, but what they were saying didn't always match what they were thinking. And that was then even more doubly confusing. So I kind of grew up and learn to use all the things that I guess are deficits and then um, learn to use them to my advantage. But I'm just now learning about um, what it all is, but it sort of just was the missing piece of my life when I, when I discovered Asperger's, I had a very mainstream understanding of autism um, as I think many people do. And it's wrong and it's very wrong. And so that's why I never even, cons- I mean, I went to school for education. I was a teacher for a very short time, but that was my background. And I had no idea. Like, how could I, I know, have that no- bothers me, and it's always true. Yeah. And I had no idea. And now, and this, to this day, when I read things like lack of empathy, I want to bang my head against the wall. <laughs> and not to be funny, that was like an unintended pun, but it makes me so mad when I hear that about people that have autism, um, that they lack empathy or Asperger's. And it's like, I get that you don't understand the way I communicate all the time, but don't tell me that I don't feel. Um, so I that's don't, my... You know what? I love this whole, the whole concept of, of empathy because um, I don't know that, it, that they're trying to pinpoint and say that we don't feel. I think they're just confused by the presentation the presentation of how we feel. In some ways, we overfeel. I used to call myself hyper-emotional oh, yeah. when I didn't have a label to, to deal with. I said, well, I'm hyper-emotional and I see colors. <laughs> you know? Yes. But that's, I see what happens, and it happened to me too, I think, because I had this mainstream understanding. The message may not be what they intended, but there are tons of bloggers out there, and they list the traits, and their moms and their parents of kids with autism, and they list the traits, and they list that their child lacks empathy. So there is a lot of um, of that out there. Because oh, no, no, I agree, but I think, what, I think they're just trying to express something that, that they're so confused on. Yes. It's like, you know, like the when, for example, for example, um, if I'm if I was waiting for a date, and he was late, and I'm walking and waiting and worrying and walking and waiting and worrying and walk, and as soon as I see them drive up the driveway, now that worry has been relieved. I relax. I go do something else, and I don't care when they come in. <laughs> I look like I don't care, <laughs> but I cared. I just cared at the other time. That well, yes, but you're explaining the real experience. But but right. why? But I don't know that. Yes, they're explaining something they don't understand. But I think they're really some people really believe that those people don't care. Right. I get that that's not what's happening. That's what I'm saying. Right. That's why it's so upsetting right. to me when I see it. Um, but I do run into a lot of people that have a very uh, misconstrued view of what autism is, and it is different for everybody, of course. Mm-hmm. And it's such a very wide spectrum. And maybe that's why I never even recognized it until I started. Um, but it runs in my family, so it definitely has a, I mean, genetic component yeah. for sure. Yeah. But runs um, in mine too. So all right, so you didn't bother to get an official diagnosis, correct? No, I have a lot of 
clinical friends that have sort of helped me work through understanding it. But as soon as I read, as soon as I found Tony Atwood and read sort of the traits in girls, and since I had every single one except for like one, I think, growing up, um, it just – it gave me – like my whole entire childhood started flooding back and every memory was reframed with a new understanding. And I knew why I did all of these things. And my mother, again, she was like, she was the one who sort of, she would always say that I didn't have, I didn't show emotion and all of these things. And I'm like, I never understood her. I was like, I don't know what she's talking about. I am so full of emotion. It's pouring out of me. And and then so everything with her became was reframed all of a sudden. And I had an understanding. So diagnosis for me would be expensive, um, but really not necessary. No. Well, uh, if you have clinical friends, I mean, that's basically how I did it. I, I sat down and I want to write a book called uh, The Many Senses of Me. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I start by finding out what a professional thinks rather than just me going, oh, I think I had sensory integration disorder. I think I had this. I had all the pieces of autism and not being willing to say that I was Asperger's or something for the same reason that you're, you're reflecting back to me, which is it's kind of – there's this jump on the autism train thing going on where everybody's all of a sudden got it and everybody's claiming to be part of the team. And it's like you don't want to be that, but if you really are that, you want to know. And there's a whole lot of ownership issues on the diagnosis itself. Um, so I went ahead and said, how about we do this thing where I'll, you know, I'll tell you everything and you tell me what you think and give me a diagnosis since she's a you know she's a psychiatrist and she can diagnose. So we just met and had coffee every you know every time I could get together with her and it took like I don't know 6 7 hours of of me vomiting all my stories and then she said, yeah you're Asperger's. <laughs> yeah. And then she goes but you're not really that much anymore. And I said well that's cuz I'm very educated about it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I sort of, I grew, I did grow up to learn in the world, but I feel like people now, kids, um, their parents get a diagnosis, and then a lot of them rush online terrified that their child will never have a life, and that's sad to me, because I, I don't know, I just feel like people deserve more hope and inspiration, and that there's so many people out there thinking that this is some kind of dead-end diagnosis, and then there's the parent, like, that parent wars on on there about you know what to do and whether you know whether it's a difference or a disability and I wouldn't wish this on anybody and then other people standing up for neurodiversity and that's there's just so many flames there to kind of walk through right now well and there's so many different levels I mean high functioning Asperger's people have more more life than most uh, not last. They tend to be high achievers, do all kinds of, because you're so hyper-focused, you get it done, that sort of thing. But when you're lower um, in your social comfort, then you're undone by it. And I think that the confusion makes people worried. Yeah. But I want yeah. to, I don't, it's, yeah, it's a very complex issue. There, there are, I mean, I let, you know way more about this being that it's your work um, but I came from it from I came to do parent education and advocacy for children and, and treating them respectfully um, based on my experience. And a lot of that was fearing people and social situations and not knowing how to communicate. In, and I have because I don't do small talk. I like to, it's like go deep or, or go home. I don't want to just talk about right. 
dinner and things. I want to I want to talk about stuff. You yeah. know, like let's yeah. work out our brains or let's really just investigate each other. And yet I'm the one that's not interested in people, right? So it was all. <laughs> Well, you're not interested in where they bought their shoes. Right, exactly. <laughs> Me either. I remember posting, I do not like to chat ever. <laughs> I like how you put it, go deeper, go home. That's exactly how, how I feel. I just want to actually discuss issues. So um, let's look at the whole concept of diagnosis. So you aren't diagnosed. Um, I am. So here's a question. Do you think that um, being diagnosed would make any difference at all? And then I'll reflect back to you what difference it made for me. I guess I'm still I'm still walking that fence. But I ha- I mean, if if my friends that are see nobody's ever offered, they've been willing to talk to me about it, but no one said to me, um, I would diagnose. You know, I could diagnose you, but they've said, oh yeah, definitely based on you know. So in that respect. I could say I was diagnosed, but I don't know if there, I don't even know what diagnosis means. Do you go and get a piece of paper that says you are this? I mean, I don't know. I don't need the, you know, the Asperger's diploma, if that's what that is. <laughs> Especially now that it doesn't exist. Right. Yeah, exactly. Now they even take it away. I just have to burn it. It wouldn't even matter. So I don't know if it would make a difference for me. I think the more I, the more I come to know it, I see, um, I really want to be caught, become involved in, in awareness, but not in the sense of, oh, I don't, I don't know. that That's still forming. So I feel like in that sense it might benefit me because maybe people will at least take me seriously because it is hard for a lot of people to even believe me when I tell them, although I always say my childhood friends and my improv um, classmates, they probably understood now. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, all of my behaviors and, and the things and the getting right, stuck right. in the words and all of this stuff making right. my play in a certain way. But, um, but I don't know. So that's where I am. So I would love to hear how it, how it affected. Well, interestingly enough, and this could be a part of just my own quirkiness, but um, once I got the diagnosis, it was easier to walk away from the confusion of having the diagnosis and not want to have it anymore. It was sort of like how I feel when I marry somebody and then I'm ready to divorce them. But I'm pum ching. Uh, but it, it, I've been married five times. You get used to making jokes. But it was kind of true. I would do that. I would be, you know, I would know what my goal was. I'm very goal-oriented. So I would go, oh, I want to marry him. And then we'd get married, and then I'd think, well, now what? Well, I guess we could divorce. I I got over that in a couple of situations and stayed with them very long, and they died. But, but, but truly, I, I was like sort of always goal-oriented, and it was much like that with the diagnosis. It, I kept having this confusion. I'm working in the world of autism, and it's not a confusion for me. I know my life, and I don't care what we call it, but it was a confusion on how do I represent myself in the world? How do I represent myself on stage? How do I represent myself in a podcast? How do You know, all of that. And I don't want to look like I'm making it up just to fit in, and I, but at the same time, it's really true, and blah, blah, you know, and there's all this. The second I got the diagnosis, all that went away, and I went, okay, good. I said it a few times, and I went, well, I don't really like being Asperger's, so I'm going to stop now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was all done. So, so in a way, um, all the healing that, that had taken place leading up till then, really couldn't happen, and I couldn't put a period to the sentence till I got that. That was for me anyways. 
I don't know that that would be for everyone, but I believe in moving beyond a diagnosis. I don't, especially a diagnosis that's based on behavior. However, when you've had a lot of discomfort in your childhood and everything was hard to understand, you do want somebody to say, yes, there was a reason, here it is, Mm -hmm. and it's not all your parents' fault, which was a nice relief because my parents were, you know, not nice. And um, knowing that the challenge of me might have been part of it, um, Mm -hmm. but not like I'm a bad person, just I was different enough, right? And having a name made it so that I wanted to divorce myself from it, which was kind of nice and made it easier for me to to sort of let go of some of the still stuck to me little, you know, burrs of of behavioral issues. Um, mm-hmm. So I liked it. So it's it's something that you might want to do if if you have a belief system that would help you move beyond it. If you have a belief system, and that's why I brought it up, because it really depends on what you're bringing to it. If you have a belief system that says, um, if I get a diagnosis, I'm stuck like that for life, like you, what you were saying with the children and, and finding out their parents got a diagnosis, and now they think, oh, um, wow, you know, then don't go get diagnosed because you're <laughs> just going to make a prison out of your life. Yeah, I don't think I'm there, but I don't know if I'm totally at the healing point either. It's interesting because if I, I feel like if I had known about this when I was younger, if I if my parents had been given the diagnosis, I don't know that I would have moved past it. I'm, because then I did have the belief system that I was sort of uh, stuck by a label. I, I mean, I always had a sense that I wasn't, which I think is what really kept me going. I always had the spark that there was something else, that there was something greater, that there was something more, whatever that is. Um, I always had that and that kind of kept me going no matter what happened but I feel it would have been debilitating for me almost to have it as a child but then I go oh but maybe it would have really helped me understand myself so there's such that that confusion but now I'm at the point where I really recognize some of the traits that I do very much still have and that I realize that they're very much connected to the way that my brain works a lot of them I'm okay with because they they help me work and uh, you know and they help me get a lot done and a lot of them are not so good because I still have you know, anxiety challenges and things that I have to sort of work out in general. So I don't know that the, and I like labels for uh, information to help me like know stuff, but I don't like them to separate us. Well, that's what, yeah, it depends on what you bring yourself to it. You know, what will it do for you and what will it do for the world that you live in, how do they believe? What you know, you have to kind of look at that before you seek this diagnosis. Not just you, but everyone. Even if you're getting your child diagnosed, how will it affect your relationship with your child if you go and get them diagnosed? Is if it's not going to be a positive thing, don't do it. There's no. We're all about making life better, not finding a diagnosis so we have an excuse to call it autism and not work with that. It's a Again, it's a really complex issue, and you bring up like your children because I'm now I find myself knowing it, knowing about it. I, I find myself watching my daughter, and wondering, okay, is that just me seeing myself in her? Is that stuff she's modeled? Is that her own quirks that don't meet? Like, why do, I don't need to label her, right? Um, when she has challenges, I just need to understand them, and I think that's what I, my work is really about. It's like. We don't, whatever your child, whatever some doctor said your child has, ADD, ADHD, ODD, there's like, uh, you know, an acronym. I know, D, 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 D
Eve. My grandmother would love that because I think she was a double D. And <laughs> she, um, she's a big inspiration, I think, in my work. She was sort of... Oh, but I'm pumping. Anyway, where are we going? Yeah, all those things. So whatever your child is, it's really about understanding what's, like, motivating that behavior. How can I help this kid? How can I connect with this person to make it easier or to help them just get through this moment? I mean, that's That's, sort of – that's how I creep to the wrap it up with the nice people thing. I mean, it's really just about let's treat each other with that same respect and desire to understand as as you would want, as I would want, as anyone would want to be treated – Children which is real, yes, and it's an. I love the, I love nice people. It's just so simple and clear. And well, just be nice, people. Can you just be nice? I used to say that all the time. Okay, <laughs> we are out of time. We are over time. This was so fun. Say something about teach through love so that they can find you. Oh, you well, you come right on over to either Facebook teach through love or teach through love dot com. Lots of resources. I'm always doing free webinars and classes, and there's lots of stuff on the site for parents, whether you have um, whatever your child is, whatever D your child ends with, (laughs) typical, regular, normal, different, the same, purple, yellow, anything. Um, I'm really just there to support people and inspire them to know that there's, there's more, there's something greater. It may be challenging today, but it doesn't have to be every day. And in case your child's lack of empathy is really your lack of empathy being magnified, do go on over and learn how to be a nice person. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lori. I had so much fun. I have to close the show. We're way over time. Thank you, Lynette. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. I'm going to let you go so I can record the, the ending part. All right. Take care. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Wow, that was so fun. I'm not sure. Let's see, what is our question? Our question of the day is, it's either about nice people or diagnosis or, you know, does the diagnosis do it? I don't know. It's time for Stories from the Road. Maybe I should make my story about the Mac store. No. Today's story is about a boy that I, um, that I met that had no diagnosis because that fits in. All right, so I'm uh, actually not working with this person. I don't really even know him very well. But I was in India, and I was walking around. Uh, I had finished work, and I was out and about. I was kind of checking it out. There's my Canadian accent coming out. And um, and there was this, this boy. He's probably, maybe he was a man. He was kind of on the, the cusp there, maybe 19, 17, somewhere in there. And it was interesting because I was in a a really nice hotel, but across from me, you know, so alongside on the street where I was, the there was a nice hotel and nice buildings beside, but across the street there was this sort of garbage lot, and it was just where people threw their garbage, just a, a lot with a lot of garbage. And um, there was ambulances would park there, and I found myself going, ooh, (laughs) I hope they wash them. Um, So (laughs) I was a little bit thrown by this. It was culturally diverse and different for me. And I was new to India at the time. So I I finished work, and I went in and, you know, sort of reset myself for the day. And I didn't have much to do, so I thought, well, I'll get out and about and and see what's up. And so I go outside, and there's this, man-child in this garbage lot and he's got 
a, di- a toothbrush in his hand that he's just fished out of the garbage, and he's all excited about it. And I'm thinking, um, oh, <laughs> that's probably not too clean. So um, being who I am, I went across the street and thought I'd check out the garbage lot and the guy and, and you know see what he was up to and hoped he was speaking English, which he did. And uh, tried to have a conversation with him. Now, what I didn't know at the time was, is the reason we're having difficulty conversing because he's limited by language? Is he limited, is his English such that he has to only say a few words over and over again? Or his, is his English such that he, you know, he, it's his mother tongue, they raised him in English, and he's gotten away from his family somehow, and he's actually on the spectrum because he's just being repetitive. So I'm trying to have a conversation with him about his toothbrush that he's found, and, and he doesn't want to talk about the toothbrush, but he wants to sort of wave it in my face and say some words that are related to his feet. So I'm going, okay, toothbrush, feet, feet, toothbrush. Maybe he wants to do like a manicure, and he wants to use this brush to to manicure his feet. Now, remember, I'm used to this. I'm used to trying to make sense out of the idiosyncrasies of, of nonverbal or minimally verbal people. So this isn't an unusual situation for me. In fact, it's a more comfortable situation for me, where for somebody else that would take a type of courage for me, I look around at all the noise and the smells and the different things, and I, and I zero in on the person who might need my help because then I know my role, and I know that I can be the one who came over and maybe helped. At the very least, I know how to do the dance, and that's more comfortable. So we're, we're you know, kind of talking to each other in this broken, repetitive, uh, dirty feet, dirty feet, dirty feet way. And I'm going, and you have a brush that you found, so you want me to clean your feet? And it was kind of fun and silly. And nothing came of it. I don't have an ending to this story. I don't have a, um, and now I healed him and off he went. I have a question mark in the story, and that's its purpose. They don't know what he was. I don't know if he was uh, on the spectrum of autism, if he had a speech deficit, if he was just really, really, really hungry and so he couldn't think. Um, I don't know if his culture really supports digging through the garbage to find a toothbrush or if he's a homeless guy that everyone would be repulsed by. I don't know. I was in a different country, different situation. A guy I never saw again. What I do know is he was completely independent and on his own in that moment. That's all I know. And I loved it. If ever there was um, an example of what neurodiversity should be, it should be a recognition of the fact that we don't know. And that all we can really do is say, Hello, sir. Nice toothbrush. Can I help you? And if we don't want to get involved, just walk on down the road and go into that noisy milieu of sights and sounds and bazaars. But don't don't roll your eyes at the man who's getting the toothbrush out of the garbage. Whether it's our homeless people in Santa Monica or uh, or some guy in India across the way from the fancy hotel. And if he only says one word over and over again, 
Maybe that's all he thinks you'll understand. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. This is a new spin on autism answers. Thank you for being here, because without you, I'd just be talking to myself. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of A New Spin on Autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear.